Thanks, Caroline. Good morning, everyone. It is lovely to be here. It's so good to see everyone. Old faces and new faces. Not old, like old. Just (laughs) familiar faces and uh, new faces. Uh, It's lovely to be here. So as Caroline said, I'm um, Sarah, and I'm currently an ordinan. That means I'm training to hopefully get ordained into the Church of England um, in a couple of years' time. And I spend most of my time down at St. Stephen's and uh, they send their greetings. I feel like that's quite a vicar thing to say, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) St. Stephen's send their greetings to you, and uh, it's good to be here. So, anybody that knows me well will know that I'm a bit of a Facebook fan. Okay, and I can see by some of your faces that you might also be Facebook fans, and others, not so much. But one of the things I really love about... um, Facebook is these little memes that come up, so little pictures that come up as you're scrolling through with just like a little encouraging thing. And I found this little picture, I thought that was quite interesting. Go back one, Cliff, thanks. Uh, Yeah, encouragement, encouragement. Uh, That's a, no, okay. Uh, But other things come up, don't they, as you're you're kind of scrolling through Facebook, those of you that might use Facebook. So um, you get little things like this, this is the next one. To be old and wise, you must, be, you must first be young and stupid. Some people are definitely agreeing quite strongly with that. Um, or uh, how about this one? Things turn out best for the people who make the best of the way things turn out. That's one of those ones where you have to like read it and reread it. And also, there's also always a name at the bottom who you know, have no idea who that person is. Um, so I actually Googled John Wooden. And uh, he's an American basketball player that died ages ago. But he did, <laughs> he, did li- he did live until he was 100 years old, so he might have some wise things to say. And then you just get these inspirational ones where something comes up with a sunset and it just says something like to make you feel good about the day. So earlier this week, I was on Facebook and I saw this meme come up and I read it and liked it. So let's read this one. You don't need to be able to read it. I'm going to read it out to you. So here's what I found on Facebook this week. You are holding a cup of coffee when someone comes along and bumps into you, making you spill your coffee everywhere. Why did you spill the coffee? You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in your cup. Wouldn't happen to me. Had there been tea in the cup, you would have spilled tea. The point is, whatever is inside the cup is what will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled. So we have to ask ourselves, what's in my cup? When life gets tough, what spills out? Joy, gratefulness, peace, and humility? Or does anger, bitterness, harsh words, and reactions come out? You choose. Today, let's work towards filling our cup with gratitude forgiveness, joy, words of affirmation, kindness, gentleness, and love for others. Do you like that? I hate it. I hate... (laughs) This is everything I don't like about Facebook memes. And the reason is, it's one of those weird half-truths. Okay, so there's there's some really, really good stuff in there. But also, it's not the whole truth about what we want to be filling our hearts with. It's like you like something on Facebook without really thinking about it. So don't get me wrong, filling our hearts with gratitude and forgiveness and joy and kindness is all worthwhile, and it's what we want to see growing in our lives. 
We want the Holy Spirit to be bubbling up inside us and growing the fruits of his spirit. But I think if we're not careful, sometimes in Christian conversations, we can kind of create this sense of dichotomy between the things which are good to have in our hearts and things which are bad to have in our cups. So this morning, I want to ask this question. What does it mean for us to have a heart which is faithful to God, but is also, at the same time, full of grief or sadness or frustration or even anger? And so often, I think we can approach these negative emotions as those which need conquering in us, those which we most need to kind of grit our teeth and try really hard to just be a bit more Christian about. It's as if having a heart full of grief or disappointment is the antithesis of being a Christian. And again, I'm not saying that we want to cultivate hearts which are full of anger or sadness, and we definitely don't want to allow harsh words or unkindness to spill out into other people's lives. But I think the Bible has really got a lot to say about these negative emotions and how they might actually help us to cultivate a close connection with God. And the Bible often refers to this kind of prayer as lament. There's a guy called um, Paul Bradbury, and he's uh, written a tiny little book, it's really good, called Sowing in Tears, How to Lament in a Church of Praise. Sowing in Tears is the name of the book. And he said that if the church had a biblical understanding of lament, it would allow us to unlearn languages of prayer too long steeped in politeness. So if you want to learn how to pray impolite prayers, listen in. So what is lament? Well, lament is um, usually described in two ways. Firstly, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And this is a biblical way of praying. You see lament all the way through the Psalms and in lots of other places in the Old Testament. For Israel, it was part of their relationship with God to express sorrow to God. And this was done sometimes as an individual or sometimes a whole community would come together and lament. So it might not just be about your own needs, it might be about the needs of a tribe or in fact the whole nation. And the second way that lament can be described is as a complaint. So this is not the same way that we would complain as like British people. I think British people are split into two people, two kinds of people, those that love complaining and those that are so conflict averse that they really hate complaining. You know, like if you think if you were in a restaurant or something. Uh, <laughs> so this isn't kind of the way that British people complain. This is a biblical way of bringing a complaint to God. And the way that this would kind of happen in Israel is basically if uh, the Israelites felt like God wasn't really playing his part well enough, they would go and complain. It's incredible. So if they felt like um, they had this covenant agreement with God and that he wasn't keeping his end of the covenant, they would complain. So a covenant agreement uh, is basically going back to um, when God first says to Abraham, you will be my people and I will be your God. And God promises them descendants and land and protection and health and a relationship with him. And as a loving response, 
Those people obey God and walk according to his laws. So when we see a complaint against God in the lament prayers of the Old Testament, it's often someone saying, God, it doesn't appear to me like you're keeping your end of the covenant. You're not keeping your side of the bargain. So these people are people who are experiencing battle or being overthrown by enemies or sickness or a lack of protection or a lack of offspring of children. And a complaint would be brought to God. How incredible to go to God and say, I don't think you're doing this very well, God. But lament is directed to God. And the Israelites were so sure of their covenant relationship with God that they had the confidence and the faith to go to God and say this. So we see lament as prayer as a really strong pattern in the way that people have related to God through thousands of years. To lament in prayer is to follow in the footsteps of thousands of years of faithful followers to God. This is not a new idea. So I wonder what some of the reasons might be for why we don't lament. Maybe we think it's a bit impolite to God. Maybe we're uncomfortable with voicing our complaint to God. After all, he is powerful and free to act as he chooses, so who am I to argue with that? Maybe we're fearful that to voice our sorrow or frustration shows a lack of faith in God's goodness. So I'm going to read a psalm of lament to you now, and then we're going to have a little look about what it might teach us about how we might pray using lament. So this is Psalm 13. It's not going to come up on the screen, so you can either look it up, or you might want to just close your eyes and just listen to it as I read it. This is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. So we're going to just dig into this a little bit and work through the psalm and see what it's got to teach us about prayer. First of all, the psalmist, he starts off by saying to God, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? And I wonder if any of us here this morning can kind of relate to that feeling sometimes, a feeling like we might be overlooked or forgotten by God. Or especially on a day like today, when we're remembering those affected by war, those that have lost their lives, or those forgotten places of the world where they experience darkness and oppression. Are they forgotten by God? I wonder what's going on here in the psalm, because there's plenty of other places in the Bible where God promises never to forget us. In Deuteronomy 4, it says this, God will not abandon you or forget the covenant with your ancestors. So what the psalmist is doing here is he's actually reminding God 
about the covenant he has made with his people. It's an expression of feeling, and it's a complaint to God. Do not forget me. Keep your promise. Keep your covenant, God, which, of course, God is always going to do. And so the value here isn't about persuading God to do something. It's about the expression of grief and the feeling of being forgotten. This is basically a protest directed to God. And then the psalmist goes on, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? So here we find a psalmist who who feels confident to passionately express their sorrow, but also to ask God, when is this going to end? This is not a powerless voice of the psalmist. This is a powerful voice of prayer. Here is a follower of God who has faith that God is not going to leave them like this forever. And I'm always struck by those friends of mine who have had serious struggles with mental health challenges or depression, and those people who are able to pray faithful and powerful prayers of asking God, when is this going to be over? So lament in prayer offers us an opportunity to powerfully and faithfully tell God when you feel enough is enough. The psalmist goes on, look on me and answer, Lord my God. So if we've seen a a protest in the first few verses, now we see a plea. And I don't know about you, those of you that have got children or grandchildren or you know kids, um, anybody met an attention-seeking child ever in their life? Yeah, okay. I know a couple of them. And um, yeah, kids often, uh, so I've got two children, they often come to me and they, they kind of do these like little like wavy things where they're, they're basically saying, look at me, look at me. They're trying to get my attention. And it works the other way around. For me as a mother talking to my child, I have lost count of the number of times where I have said to my child, look at me and answer me. Ever said that to your child? Look, look at me and answer me. And when you're a parent and you've got a child, that's kind of what you've signed up for in that relationship you kind of signed up for agreement that you're going to give your child some attention and that they're going to give you their attention when you're trying to get it. But I wonder, would we be like this with God? We talk about God as our father, but would we go to him and say, look on me and answer me, Lord my God. There's a confidence here in this psalm that when we ask God to look at us, he will. Some of you may know another famous um, lament in the Bible. We see this with Hannah when she goes to the temple. She's full of grief and sorrow because she doesn't have any children. She goes to the temple and she pours out this passionate expression of grief. This is in 1 Samuel. And later on, Samuel is born. And the name Samuel means heard by God. Hannah is heard by God she gives birth to Samuel, who is one of the most important prophets in the history of Israel. He spends his whole life hearing from God, even from earliest childhood. So the point here is, again, lament gives us the opportunity to pray powerful prayers, asking God to look at us and hear us. And in return, we're given confidence 
that he does see us and he does hear us. But what happens next in the psalm? This is my favorite bit. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation, for he has been good to me. And I always wonder here, has anything changed in this person's circumstances? Probably not. This is just one big prayer together. But passionate expression of grief or a complaint to God really does bring a level of freedom in our hearts, which then leads to praise. There's a biblical scholar, I have to read biblical scholars nowadays, called Walter Brueggemann, and he said this, Lament is a gift where painful protest leads us to passionate praise. Lament does not leave us in a place of pain, but transforms our hearts so that we're ready to praise him, whatever the circumstances. Because God is for us, he is not against us. He keeps his promises to us. But he is also confident enough for us to bring our disappointment, our grief, our frustration, or even our anger to him, and to direct that at him. He won't be wobbled. He won't be shaken. This is for us and also for our communities. When we go out and we're sharing the good news of Jesus, as Ed has so brilliantly encouraged us to do this morning, what we're offering people is not a life which suddenly becomes rosy and great and perfect, where nothing ever goes wrong. But we're offering people a way to faithfully pray prayers of pain, which are full of faith in God. And I think if the church can recover lament as a powerful form of prayer, our worship will be much more authentic. And authenticity is one thing that the world is really searching for. So I think to learn to lament well in prayer might mean you become less polite, but you might become more confident, more powerful in your prayer, more authentic, and closely connected to our Father God. So I wonder if God might be speaking to you this morning. It might be that you feel forgotten by God. It might be that there's places in the world that have been really put on your heart this morning, those forgotten places, where war is still such a destructive force. It might be that you've come this morning with a heart full of grief or sadness, or a challenge with your mental health. It might be that you'll feel passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus and that lament is an authentic part of that. So to finish, I'd just love to read some words which are written about Jesus. And these words can be found in Isaiah. I'm going to read from the King James Version of the Bible. Wouldn't have done that a year ago. <laughs> Here we go. This is from Isaiah, and it's about Jesus. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But surely he has borne our griefs 
and carried our sorrows. Yet we thought him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And with his wounds, we are healed. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And in a moment, we're going to come to communion. And we're going to remember Jesus, the one who laid down his life, the great friend of sinners. And these words in Isaiah, they speak not only about the sacrifice of Jesus, he was a blameless servant, but they speak of one who carried not only our sin, but all the brokenness of our heart and of the world. He carried our grief and our sorrow all the way to the cross, where he defeated death and now lives forevermore. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.